Moving through the waters of Babylon like a rebel fish. Jogging his specialist, predatory and survivalist. Spinning heaven's fire from his lips. Burn his name driver. Excuse me. <laughs> this is a history of current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4 6 states, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4 7 states, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Well, by getting an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your hosts, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to get involved in the conversation if this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage and catch the live audio. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash timeforanawakening. Again, that's www blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also. Also at abibitumi.com forward slash time for an awakening. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I forward slash time for an awakening. You stream from Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn radio is a free app. And that TuneIn search engine, you can type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon and you can stream your program live, even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an awakening radio program with a live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. And that Facebook search engine, you can type in time for an awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening Radio Program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening Media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening Media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also, check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the BB2Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening media it's 807 here on this uh balmy friday evening in the city of philadelphia the september 9th september 8th i'm sorry edition of time for an awakening our freestyle friday uh, edition uh tonight a special guest joining us uh on freestyle friday is educator and math professor and founder and CEO of all this math, 
brother Akil Parker will be joining us to talk about his new project that's coinciding with the uh, beginning of the school year for our children. We'll get into it with brother Akil. And you can get involved in the conversation uh, by dialing 215 490 9832. That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. 
It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m., for podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8.13 on this Freestyle Friday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Art Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, brother Elliot. No worries, sir. Uh, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I'm uh, trying to get myself together. I'm glad. I'm glad we um, have them, brother uh, Parker, on. You know, as the public schools and the schools, you start to see young people with their bags. Um, you know, the young scholars, um, the future, the future scholars, uh, moving into these uh, institutions of higher learning. And skill development, uh, hopefully, is that more than um, conditioning and, um, you know, just being um, programmed, as some people would say. Yeah, well, you're right, Richard. Uh, you know, um, we can't re- uh, we can't just put our children in the hands of uh, a public school system or any school system to teach our children. Uh, they can learn some skills there in these uh institutions but we do have to do the work as a people and sometimes we have a tendency to have fallen down on the job some of our people but uh the things are changing and they're changing very rapidly mm. uh, it's a good thing that we have our guest on this evening he's been a guest on on several occasions we hadn't had him we haven't had him on in a while but good to have him back with us to talk about his new project that coincides with the starting of this school year math professor, uh, educator, and founder and CEO of All This Math is joining us in conversation with Akil Parker. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Doing well. How are y'all brothers doing? <laughs> great, great, great. Happy to have you back with us on the program. Brother Akil, uh, the school year is starting. It's like Richard said, we see the children moving around and parents taking them to class, uh, which is a good thing. But uh, you have some projects that kind of coincide well you always have something going on but you do have something new that coincides with the start of this school year uh let some of our listening audience know especially the ones that live in the philadelphia area uh, about what's going on yeah so what i just released in june was the first installment in a series of books called how to use all this math and so in june i released volume one how to use all this math which is basically, it's, it's really a guidebook for parents and elders and community members, uncles, aunts, grandparents, grandmothers, grandfathers, whoever, that are just invested in the success and the well-being of our children. And what I'm doing is I'm identifying different everyday activities 
things that, you know, we do very comfortably, very easily, like, you know, going in the kitchen to get a snack or riding in the car with your children when they got to run errands or get dropped off for school in the morning or picked up for after they get picked up from school in the afternoon or, you know, just whatever, or even riding on the bus, you know, going somewhere, riding on the train or the trolley or whatever. And I'm showing how just within those activities, those comfortable, regular activities that you wouldn't even think twice about, there's a lot of arithmetic that can be learned and practiced within those activities. There's also a lot of algebra that can be learned and practiced within those activities. And volume one isn't too heavy on geometry, but volume two definitely will be. There'll be a lot more geometry content in volume two. But the reason that I'm doing this is because what I realized is something that the way we've been conditioned as parents, as, you know, when we were young people, you know, as community members, we've been conditioned that it's okay to send our children into school unprepared for math class. And we've been conditioned by society to just, I do like completely outsource mathematical education to the school, whether it be a public school, charter school, or private school. And what I realized is that that's not the best way to ensure success in mathematical proficiency or mathematical confidence. And really what happens is our children end up developing math anxiety, serious and deep math anxiety, and serious and deep math phobia because they're going into math class unprepared. It's almost like they're going in there almost knowing nothing, you know. They might know they're not, like at a young age, they might know their numbers and know how to count, but they're not going in there equipped and armed, ready to really learn more advanced content. And, you know, this leads to a lot of issues because the schools aren't even equipped. The schools may advertise themselves as though they are equipped to teach your child everything they need to know, but they're not equipped for that. You know, a lot of the teachers aren't equipped for that. A lot of the teachers don't have the experience required and the content knowledge, you know, and the content mastery to even really um, effectively teach a child that knows very little. They're very, they're much more equipped at, they may be much more equipped at helping to facilitate the learning of a child that has a certain background and a certain, a certain level of, of math background and math proficiency already. So I'm writing the book because what I want our children in our community to already be exposed to mathematics and different math processes and different math activities. I want them to know math vocabulary. They need to understand what fractions are like then and not just, okay, I see a number and I see a horizontal line and I see another number underneath of it. And I say, Oh, well, that's a fraction. No, I, I want our people to really understand conceptually what a fraction actually is. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know what a fraction really is. They know what it looks like. But they don't know what it is. And that, and that, that can be seen also in, in reading, you know, a lot of us have the definition of reading, which essentially means that a person can identify letters and syllables and put them together and pronounce words correctly, even though they don't really know the meaning. They can't derive real meaning from a sentence they just read. But in our, a lot of times in our society, we say, oh, well, this person can, you know, say those words or they can say this out loud. But they don't really understand what they just said. Right? They don't, they're not able to read between the lines, so to speak, or do that critical analysis of what they just read. They're not able to really decode what was said and also what was not said or what was communicated by them not saying certain things, right? So the same thing happens with mathematics. You know, we see things in math and we say, oh, that's that. That's what that is. But we don't really know what it is, 
right? And I can even attest to that, you know, as a, as a person that grew up and generally had a strong math background, had a strong math experience, um, I was very procedurally strong in mathematics. But what I realized once I got older, I got kind of deep into my teaching career, I was conceptually weak, but I was procedurally strong. Because when I was young, I would catch on to things quickly. I would realize, I, w- I would understand algorithms. I could understand formulas. Like, okay, that's the formula for this. Okay, when I see the problem, okay, I got to, what, what letters do I have to replace and which numbers do I replace them with? And then what should I add? What should I multiply? What should I divide? But I couldn't really tell you why it makes sense. And that leads to problems, you know, on standardized testing. That leads to problems on whether you're in, you're in Pennsylvania taking a keystone algebra exam. Because um, a lot of those problems, a lot of those questions on those exams are really testing our, our students' conceptual understanding, not just procedural, right? Especially the SA, you know, the SAT exam. SAT definitely, you know, is testing, you know, conceptual understanding. I know a lot of people, you know, push back and say, well, a lot of colleges aren't even accepting the SAT anymore. But a lot of them still are, you know. And, you know, when people say that, that colleges aren't accepting the SAT, some, some aren't, you know, which is true. But... We're looking for reasons to not learn math. But we should be actually looking for reasons to learn math and looking for methods in which we that we can use to, to understand math better, you know. Um, and that's what this book is about, how to use all this math volume one, you know, just, you know, and things that we take for granted, like simple things. Like well, there's a short chapter called license plate games where I'm basically saying when you're in the, in the car with your child, you know, have your child, you know, put their phone down, put their tablet down you know, um, because they're probably getting too much screen time anyway. And just observe, look at the license plates of the cars around them. And when you see numbers in the license plates, use that time to practice adding numbers. Use that time to practice subtracting those numbers. Use that time to practice multiplying those numbers. Use that time to practice dividing those numbers. Because you'll be surprised how many third graders, fourth graders, or fifth graders might not be able to tell you what 9 plus 5 is right off the top of their head. You know, and that, that third, fourth, or fifth grader that can't tell you that, a lot of times that learning gap or that mathematical blind spot, as we call it, never gets filled in. It never gets remedied. But then they become an adult out here in the world, grown man, grown woman, can't tell you what nine plus five is. And a lot of people will, you know, make the excuse and say, oh, well, you know, as long as you got an iPhone, you don't need to know all that. And I say, okay, that's one way to look at it, I guess. I mean, you want to take out your iPhone and type in 9 plus 5. You know, that seems a little embarrassing to me, you know, among other things. But, um, but this, these, things ha- these things happen early, you know, early on in life. So I want for, you know, our people to, you know, really start to address these things early on. And, you know, and practice, you know, and develop skills, you know. Um, you know, understand, start to understand algebra and start to understand, like, you know, I have another section in the book that talks about unit conversions. You know, um, every time you pick up a snack, you know, a snack there, you know, you look on the front, the front label, it's, it's, it's measure, it's weight measurement is in the British system, is in the British system, such as in ounces, and it's also in the metric system, in grams. So that's an opportunity to, to teach some algebra, you know, quick little, you know, formula that a lot of people might not even get exposed to until chemistry class in 10th grade, right? But we can teach young, young children this, you know, eight, nine-year-olds, seven-year-olds, you know, how to do this. You know, so they and also so they, what happens is they they essentially become like bilingual, or they can like you know within unit, you measurements a unit, they can like code switch so to speak. 
right? Because I, I understand how much this weighs in the British system, right? The British colonial system of measurement. And I also understand how this, how this measures in the, in the metric system, the metric colonial system of measurement, right? Um, because, you know, a lot of people can't do that. You know, they just, you know, they're trusting, you know, what's on the label. But it also gives an opportunity to develop numerical fluency and also mathematical confidence, which is what we lack. Like, a lot of it is confidence, you know. Um, and it's, it's, there's nothing coincidental or accidental about this. You know, I give a lot of these, these talks, and I talk about math a lot. And one of the things I want to start doing more of is, is being very explicit when, you know, with the idea that, we're not meant to learn math, right? In order for this society to, to maintain its status quo, we can't, they, they can't have black people, large amounts of black people being proficient at mathematics. And this is why I say this. Um, for one, you know, I referenced the, the ancestor, late Dr. Amos Wilson, in one of his lectures, and I'm sure he wrote this in one of his books also, he talks about how the challenge, one of the challenges for the educational system of the West or the educational system of the United States is to give the appearance that they actually want to improve educational outcomes and educational conditions for black children and black people while still maintaining the status quo and not changing anything as a result. That's the significant challenge is how to basically act like I'm trying to help you and act like I'm trying to change things and act like I'm trying to revolutionize systems when, in fact, I'm really trying to maintain it, conserve the system that we've had in place for so long, right? So when I look at, when I think of, think of it in, in that context, I also think about the fact that math is really a system for problem solving. That's one thing you got to keep in mind. Math is a system of problem solving. So when young people are saying, why I got to learn this, why I need to know this, you know, I could just use a calculator or I don't need to know all this, right? What they're not thinking about is about problems, right? Being able to identify problems, being able to critically analyze problems, and then be able to have a, a systematic method of solving problems, right? But we also have to think about something else. There's a branch of mathematics called game theory. And within game theory, you have something called zero-sum games, two-player zero-sum games, where you got to have winners and losers. In order for there to be winners, it's got to be losers. In order for there to be losers, it's got to be winners. So then I think about, you know, this Latin phrase that I like a lot because it explains so much that's right in front of us, but often it's kind of hidden in, in society, hidden in plain view. This Latin phrase called QE bono. QE bono means who benefits. When there are problems, oftentimes we only focus on the victim in the problem or the person that was harmed. We never think about who's benefiting from that problem. It's like a conditioning that we had, that many of us had. If we start to realize that, okay, for every problem that I have as an individual and every problem my community has as a collective, somebody's benefiting from that. Some entity is benefiting, some group is benefiting, some individuals are benefiting. So when we think about it in that context, and this is like a mathematical way of, of looking at the world and analyzing the world, you got people that have problems, you got people that are benefiting from the problems, Right? If I benefit from your problem, if somebody's benefiting from my problem, they have a vested interest in me never learning how to solve my problem. So herein comes math. Math, I believe, is the greatest method or greatest tool for problem solving known to man, mathematics, in terms of training people in how to solve problems. So if I can 
you know, limit your ability to learn mathematics. If I can convince you through propaganda that mathematics is too difficult for you, mathematics is not for black people, mathematics is irrelevant, mathematics is not something that you need to care about because it's not going to affect your life anyway, then what I'm actually doing is I'm teaching you and showing you that problem solving is not for you because math can be equated to problem solving. So once I do that, now, once, once they do that, the people that benefit from my problem, they are safe. They can be comfortable. They can relax. So they say, well, these people are never going to solve their problems anyway. So therefore, they'll never take away my advantage. I'll continue to benefit. My children will benefit. My grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and so on and so forth will all benefit. And they'll have that intergenerational wealth and intergenerational comfort because they're profiting from the problems of a group of people that don't know how to problem solve. And this group of people came to schools that we controlled and we systematically denied them access to quality math instruction while at the same time making it seem like we were really trying to give them quality math instruction. No, do, so this is how, this is how I, I want us to, to uh, you want to jump in? You, go, well, finish your, what you're getting ready to say because I want to jump in there and, and, and mention something about um, what you were just talking about. But go ahead, finish your thought. So, so I, want, I want us to understand that, like, you know, this is, we, we need to draw a parallel between the fact that, you know, we have, we have ancestors like Frederick Douglass who, uh, you know, snuck around and organized brothers, teach brothers how to read while he, while he was enslaved on a plantation in Maryland um, because it was illegal for black people to learn how to read. You know, it was illegal for a white man to facilitate or aid a black, a black people in learning how to read, right? We need to draw parallels between that and mathematics because also mathematics is a language. It really is a language. And that's why, like, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of, you know, young people and adults alike have confusion about mathematics because they don't know the language. There's a lot of symbolic symbols in mathematics. There's a lot of, um, you know, double, certain symbols have double meanings or triple meanings. It's also contextual in a certain problem. This parentheses means this. In another problem, the parentheses mean something different. In another problem, the parentheses mean something else. It's a language that we have to learn, just like we learn the English language, just like we might study Arabic, we might study Yoruba, we might study Kiswahili. It's a language in itself. And then once you understand that language, then you understand how we can use this language to problem solve. So this is what, you know, this, these are some of the things that I want our people to start thinking about and not just thinking about it, but start acting on it and really reorient ourselves toward how we regard mathematics as, you know, instead of just, you know, this class that, you know, we got to take or, you know, it's kind of like a necessary evil or something to try to avoid or, you know, duck out of. Because there's a lot of conversation around STEM and increasing the number of black uh, people in the STEM disciplines. The best way to do that is give people a strong math foundation at a young age, as young as possible. And, you and, know, cause that, and, that, and that's my, that's what I wanted to jump in with. The, uh, because I, now, Billy Keel, you, you're an educator, and I, you've taught at the college level. you taught in, in, uh, in the school level also. But what um, ages do you kind of specialize in, if you do? And then that'll go to my well, question. Well, all, so all ages, through, through all this math, we, we offer private and, private and individual and group tutoring. Okay. 
um, all ages from as young as, you know, five, four or five years old, you know, on up through, you know, to adults, you know, college level, beyond college. Okay. Um, that's an adult going back to school, but also the YouTube channel. That's another thing. So the, the book came out in June, right? That's something that, you know, somebody you can order and use on a daily basis with your children or with your, your young people. Um, but the YouTube channel, that's free. That's available. You know, we have close to 600 videos right now, probably like 584. That's the exact amount of videos we have posted right now on different math topics ranging from addition methods for young people. I got, I got video, I got a, a video with my four-year-old son Kwame where we're, at, we're doing addition of single digit numbers using our fingers, counting with fingers. And I got some calculus videos on there and everything in between, you know, so there's that. Um, and, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's the thing that I've, I've really been, you know, doing a lot of work to try to push and just let our people know that it exists and that it's out there. Cause for a lot of our young people, they go to school unprepared for math class, right? Unprepared for math class. They don't have the foundational knowledge in order needed in order for them to thrive in, in a math class in most math classes. And if they don't understand something in class, that's just it. That's kind of it. It's like, well, if I don't get it in class, it's just not going to get gotten. So I created this, this resource where it's like, okay, well, you can go on my YouTube channel. You can see this black man that, you know, simplifies math lessons, um, speaks about them in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that makes it make sense. And I, I try to make it plain, like Malcolm X always would say, make it plain, right? Um, and you're going to get, speaking of Malcolm X, it's very culturally responsive because in the beginning of most of my videos, you're going to get a little bit of African history or African-American history. I might be wearing a, a Thomas Sankara t-shirt on in one of my videos when I'm talking about how to graph a, a linear equation, you know, using a Y-intercept up and, and the slope. But if I got that Thomas Sankara t-shirt on, which a lot of our young people never even heard of Thomas Sankara. And I think that's why a lot of our young people end up become acting the way they do and also growing up and becoming adults that act the way they do because they haven't been exposed to, to, to black men that were revolutionaries, Right. So they think that, okay, well, I just got to, I'm going to just act, I'm going to follow the lead of the rapper or the actor or the, the athlete that I see on Instagram, right? They don't have those options. But if I got that t-shirt on in that video, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Thomas Sankara, expose you to him, you know, just, you know, put him out there so you can go do, go do your own research. And then we're going to talk about the math lesson. And that's really, that's really um, a model that really came from just my organic teaching style, which is part of, of histematics which we, we can talk about too. The, the intimidation factor. Um, now, I, I have a business where 98% of our customers is our folks. And I do notice that when young people come in, and when I say young people, I'm talking about maybe from 12 to teenage years, 12 maybe to 16 and they give me some money, and I ask them, well, a lot of times they'll give me out. They'll know where the price is, uh, whatever it is, the service, and they'll give me more than the price of the service. Then I'll say, well, what are you giving me? Or how much change am I supposed to give you back? And then they start looking around, looking up in the air, looking at their buddy, and a lot of times, if they have a younger brother there or a sister, and I'm talking about young when I'm talking about like maybe a first grader or second grader, 
they'll jump in and say, oh, I, I, I know, I know. And I said, no, 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 let him tell me. And their older brother, which is 12, 13, doesn't really know. Now, the question is this, because I know that some adults, if they went through a lot of these public school systems, whether it's in Philadelphia or Tuscaloosa, Alabama, it doesn't matter. Uh, the math strength is really not there. So they're kind of intimidated uh, by the study of math. But the children are more receptive. And I'm talking to very young children. They're not intimidated. They want to learn. So do you find that it's easier to introduce this to very young people or it doesn't matter if they're receptive to learn? Just from your experience as an educator. So, I mean, I would would say it kind of depends on, like, the background of the student. Um, but I, but I definitely see your point and I can say that I've also had that experience and, you know, this, you know, this makes me think of, you know, again, Amos Wilson, again, um, awakening the African genius, you know, of, of black, of black children, the children are born, born brilliant. It's the, you know, the school systems, it's mainstream media, the social systems that dumb us down. And there's a lot of propaganda specifically surrounding mathematics that makes us feel scared of it. And that's what, that's where that math anxiety comes in and that math phobia ends up setting in. And once that math phobia sets in, it's in your mind. And I, I would, I would probably say, I'd bet money that as soon as you ask that young brother, well, you know, how much change should I give you? He tenses up. His blood pressure probably goes up you might start sweating a little bit because math has been, you know, presented to him as though, well, first of all, it's not for him. Math is not, it's not something that black people do, right? That's probably how it's been presented to him. And they're very subtle and, and sinister ways in which that's done. Even something as, you know, simple as, you know, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a, we're going to create this math textbook and all the formulas are named after white people, Europeans, all the pictures in the book, bunch of white people, you know, um, maybe I, you know, cause like they say, they say represent, you know, white liberals say representation matters. Okay. Maybe they'll like, you know, slatter a couple of, you know, black, you know, stock photos in there. So you can feel like, oh, well, you know, this is for you too, but nah, a lot of the word problems and the application problems in the textbook are not relevant to black culture. So it's like you're being taught, like you're already, you're a foreigner within this space, Right which creates another problem because then you have black folks that are able to excel in mathematics, but they've also, they, they have also been taught and conditioned to believe that math is not something for black folks. So then you combine that with a young black person that's living in America and they internalize this idea that the reason for racism is because of something that they've done and not as Bobby Wright talked about the psychopathic nature of those Europeans that are doing that thing. So then they use, a lot of times they may use that, that black child, or that young black person may use mathematics as a passport or attempt to use mathematics as a passport to escape their blackness. And they say, well, you know, I'm like, I'm not, I ain't like the rest of y'all. I could do calculus. Like, no, nah, I'm not like y'all. As opposed to saying, okay, you know what? I can do calculus and I'm going to put y'all on too. Because I know at your school, maybe you're not, they're not even offering calculus at your school. 
let's get down. I'm going to put you on the calculus. I'm learning calculus. So I want us to learn calculus. We need calculus because, you know, we can solve we can solve problems, certain problems at a higher level, right? And it'll improve our thinking ability. And then maybe we can compete for certain, certain opportunities that we're not traditionally, you know, able to compete for, right? So then that, that happens as well. But, but yeah, there's a, there's a dumbing down process. And there's a lot of negative propaganda around mathematics. And, you know, and I mean, yeah, and also this is another thing. I, I like the fact that, you know, we talk about, uh, we tell the young people that, you know, their ancestors built pyramids. That's good, but I think that that also has to be followed up with some actual, like, tangible instruction, right? So if I'm a black man and I'm telling, this is part of the reason why, I'm, you know, I've, I've built out all this math the way I have because, I'm the black man that's going to tell a young black brother or a young black sister, like, listen, you shouldn't be scared of math. Your ancestors developed math. Your ancestors were the first human beings, the first to have thriving human civilization. All the mathematics that's in these textbooks, our ancestors developed. And then other civilizations and other groups of people learned from us, right, and modified certain things, but they basically learned from us, right? But in, this, in addition to just saying that to them, then I got to sit down, roll my sleeves up, and actually do some math with them, show them some actual geometry. So they got to see, okay, well, yeah, okay, that, it makes, okay, it does make sense. Why am I scared of this? My people invented this. Um, and now here, here we are in 2023, this black man is showing me how to do it in a way that makes sense and in a way that I can understand. Whether it's through the tutoring, private tutoring, or whether it's just, okay, I'm on his YouTube channel every day. Every day I get a homework assignment, I come home, I pull up his YouTube channel, I go into the different playlists and I look for the topic that we're covering in class. And he's got videos. And, you know, and I might like the way he explained it better than the way my teacher explained it. Or maybe I couldn't, I couldn't understand what my teacher's explanation was because everybody was talking during class while she was trying to teach, while he was trying to teach. There's a lot of that that goes on too. A lot of these, the learning environments are not conducive. And then but the first thing, you know, people say is, well, what about your classroom management? Classroom management is a very, um, complex topic because especially when you get to a certain level, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, where it's like, you know, if you, if you want to sit in class and just have whole conversations while the teacher's up at the board trying to teach, trying to do their job and you're being disruptive and you just don't care, you just have a certain avenue then you know, you just don't need to be in that room. You're 16, 17 years old. You don't need to be in that room. And it's probably nothing, you know, that the teacher can really say to you to like convince you or, and they shouldn't even have to use energy and time to do that, to try to convince you 16, 17 years old that geometry is relevant to you or you should, you should stop having this whole conversation across the classroom while I'm up at the board trying to teach and I need everybody, I need to have everybody's attention and not you. There's a lot of that that's going on. It really never gets discussed because it often becomes an issue of, oh, well, you know, if that's happening in your class, you have poor classroom management. And people don't want to expose themselves. And a lot of principals aren't really supportive of the idea that, well, you know, some, some of these students just don't need to be in here. You know, and even if you contact parents and, you know, you try to enlist them and get support, it's like, you know, parents can't tell and they aren't even able to tell some of, these, some of these children what to do. They've been adultified from a young age. And a lot of those same students that are being disruptive in class, that are, that are not tapped in, that are not concerned about your lesson, they're the ones that when they were in third grade, Second grade, they didn't understand fractions. They didn't. They never learned their addition facts. They never learned their multiplication facts. 
And I recognize this, like, this is not like a new phenomenon. By the time you get to high school, it's like, this is something that's been compounded for many years. So that's why you're in, you're in math class, 10th grade, 11th grade, just being totally disruptive, not paying attention. And like, not even sitting back, just being quiet, minding your business, you know, not paying attention. But in addition to not paying attention, you're being rude and obnoxious and loud and disruptive. So when, when it's time for the teacher to try to teach, you know, the students are distracted. So the YouTube channel is also for that student that's in that class. You know, with those students that, you know, that is in a class where the teacher can't kick the kids out. So they might not, the school might be under-resourced. There might not be a space for that student to go. Might not be like a, you know, an isolation room or whatever, whatever, what have you. Um, but the reality is, like, you know, some of our young people are just not, not ready for instruction. But, you know, if I may, um, Brother Elliot, Brother Kill, because as I'm listening to you, you know, I just want to interject um, this because I, I, I see your your um, volume one, how to use all this math as a tool, um, you know, not just for um, you as an educator and individual instructor um, insisting, you know, quote, unquote, young people, but um, from, you know, as math as a part of a community building process. Um, you've, you've, I've heard you say in other places when we're talking about, you know, from a community's perspective and you gave examples, you know, about um, unit conversions and, and, and using tags as a means of, it's, this is not happening in the school. You, you said how um, practicing, um, mat, I mean, schools are only supposed to be a place for practicing. Um, I wanted wanted to start. I wanted to you know have a conversation around around this from a community a community building perspective, and um, how math, especially in this moment, is used. So when you say it's it's a um, schools are really supposed to be just a place for the student um, to practice. That means that the child, the scholar, the student is learning math and with your, with your tool of all that math, volume one, is a learning math from us, the community in general. We have to be in a math educating process, like um, Brother Elliot said. What do you mean by practice? the school is just supposed to be practicing, um, but not a place actually learning how to do math? So what I mean is, so, so that's, that's one of my goals. My goals is for us as a, as a community to reorient ourselves to how we regard schools. Whereas a lot of that, you know, again, like there's a, there's a condition in that we've experienced where we believe that it's okay for us to completely outsource mathematics education to public and charter and private schools. And what I'm saying, we have to scrap that, that approach and figure out ways for us as parents same way we parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, everybody's got to be on deck, right? All hands on deck. We got to figure out ways to be able to even teach. As a matter of fact, I'll go so far as to say this, and this is an ambitious goal. I would like for the black within the black community for parents to be able to teach and help with math homework for as long as their child lives under their roof. And I know that's an ambitious goal because what we're talking about is, okay, your child's in 12th grade taking pre-calculus. I want you to be able to sit down and, you know, figure out what the asymptote is of that graph, right? But then that's where I come in, and I'm like, okay, well, I got the resource. I got the online resource. So just like, you know, you want to do some uh, do-it-yourself project around the house, little contracting work, when you want to learn how to change your brake pads, you want to learn how to change your own oil because you want to save some money, 
right? You can go online and learn all that. Sisters, you know, you can go online and learn how to apply makeup, you know, so you can look pretty and everything, you know, do sewing weaves and things like that. Any, you can learn a lot of stuff online. What I'm saying is I want you to be able to learn math, the math online too, so you can support your children. And if you do still go to um, public or charter schools, which we don't control, because we went, remember the words of H. Rap Brown, when he said anything that you don't control can be used as a weapon against you. So we don't, the black community, we don't control the public schools. We don't control the school district of Philadelphia. Um, anybody that's listening to this all across the country, black people do not control those school districts. We don't control the charter schools. Um, you know, so I want to, when, when I, if our children are still going into those spaces, I want them to be going to those spaces with the express purpose of practicing what their community has already taught them. And this is something that's already done. Like, you know, a lot of people, like I can I often think of an example, um, sometimes with the, with the negative behaviors, you know, some of the vices, like, you know, young brothers that are like, you know what? I can make money playing pity pad in school. You know, we play pity pad a dollar a hand. And that's how I make my money in school. I learned how to play pity pad in my community, though. In my hood, I learned how to play pity pad. I learned how to play with my cousins, right? And when I go to school at lunchtime, we play pity pad. And yeah, we're not supposed to be gambling in school, but we figure out ways to keep keep a tally of who owes who and how much I made and how much this other person made, and then we just pay up at a, at another time, right? I learned that at home, and I'm coming to school and I'm practicing my skills. Or even people that roll dice in the bathroom, it's the same exact thing. I learned that in my around the way. I probably didn't learn it in school. I went to school to practice and hone my hone and develop my craft and develop my skills at whatever it is. So what I'm saying is. I want for us to do the same thing with mathematics, but it is going to take a lot of, it's going to take a, 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 sh- a paradigm shift in the thinking of our community, of the adults in the community. Cause we gotta, we gotta start thinking differently and figuring out ways, you know, to be able to provide this education. And that's why another reason for the book is I realized that, you know, life is in the way for a lot of people. When I say life is in the way, I mean, people have a lot of things going on. Um, due to like economic insecurity, some people got to work two and three jobs just to make ends meet, keep a roof over their head. Um, you know, so this, this does not require you to like, you know, get in a car and drive nowhere. You don't got to like commit like, you know, three to four hours a week or three to four hours a day to this. This is just, I'm trying to meet people where they are and saying, okay, well, you know, when you're in a car with your children anyway, or you're in the kitchen with your children anyway, and they're making a snack or you're making dinner. This is a, this is, this, you're already having conversations with them anyway, right? So this is a, let's, let's have some mathematical conversations because that's another reason for the math anxiety that a lot of children go to school, develop in school is because, and they say where they may not develop the same level of anxiety in terms of English language arts, reading and writing, because from a young age, they're practicing the English language. They're listening to people speak the English language. They're they're, they're repeating and copying, you know, people of elders and, and adults and older siblings that are using the English language. So the English language is being reinforced on a daily and constant basis, but that's not happening with math. So what I'm saying is like, if we could do that with math too, like we're also having conversations about fractions, right? Instead of saying, okay, here, um, you know, you take this piece of the, you, you take this slice of pizza, right? Yeah, take a slice of pizza. No, no, wait. Yeah, this is a slice of pizza, but you know what else it is? That's an A for the pizza. So we're introducing the concept of fractions at an early age, and then fractions become part of their daily language. 
So when, when fractions become part of our children's daily language, then when they go to school in the, the, in the unit, in the curriculum, and in, a unit on fractions is being introduced, they're like, okay, cool, let's go. I'm, I'm familiar with this already. You know, just like a lot of students will go into ELA class and they'll have vocabulary words. Teacher puts 10 vocabulary words on the board. And if you live in a certain type of household where, you know, those vocabulary words may already be familiar to you, or maybe you might know eight out of 10 of them already. So when you write them down, it's, a re it's just a reinforcement. It's not nothing brand new that somebody's thrusting upon you, right? But with math, it's like everything's brand new. So they're going to class like everything's brand new. What is this? I don't know this. I've never seen this before, right? And what I'm saying is like that's a large reason for us, us failing and us developing that anxiety and developing that phobia because, you know, it's, I liken it to like a boxing match, right? My son has never trained in boxing, right? I would never want to put him in a ring with a world-class fighter. But I love him, <laughs> and I'm concerned about his well-being. He would get his head boxed off, right? He's never trained a day in his life in boxing. So I would never want to do that for him. But essentially, this is what we do as a collective, as a community, and not just our community, but I'm focused on our community right now, when we send our children to school unprepared for math class. And that's because, and that's the point I'm making, and, and that's why when Elliot gave the example, Elliot, when you gave the example of, of, of what you do, you know, in relationship, you know, into business and even asking the question, here is a community person, you know, providing a service and, and, and not a teacher, not a tutor, but another member recognizing the importance, as you say, that math is and, and recognizing that this is supposed to be done. I, I do it with my um, nieces and nephews. I'm, I'm a walker. So as you use your book, I, I use tags and I do it for myself as a quote unquote uh, senior, you know, and adding. Now, and I just moved to trying to multiply. Now, you're a walker and you're multiplying um, numbers for what is it, four digits. You have to be able to, you know, keep the memory of the first two digits, then multiply that larger number to the third digit. And, 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 and I ain't going to be fronting, uh, you know, I, before the car go and the next group of digits come up. So, but this is a process from what I'm hearing you say, this is a process of how if all of us were engaged and young people being around us as a community, um, giving these subtle instructions of pizza fractions and, and other things where we're all engaged in um, assisting them in strengthening that math muscle. Is that, that's basically what you're, you're saying. So it, isn't it, isn't it? That yeah, it, precisely, precisely. Because this is something. Because again, we're, we're, we've been conditioned, and you know, and I, I want to be very clear that we're doing what we've been taught to do. Because a lot of people would say there are those among us that would you know use this as an opportunity to like just kind of critique and just throw black people under the bus. But what I'm saying is actually, you know, even though that's in a, it's ineffective to completely outsource the instruction of mathematics for our children to schools, it's what we've been taught to do. So it's like, you know, unless you unless you kind of um, had somebody else in your life to kind of instruct you on, well, say, you know what, yeah, I think you should make sure that your children know all their addition facts before they go to first grade. Or I think you should make sure that all your children know their multiplication and division facts before they go to third grade or before they go to second grade. Unless somebody really told you that and had that conversation with you and showed you and emphasized the value in that, you probably wouldn't do it because, you know, it's like it's like we haven't been conditioned to do that. So in fact, when we when when some of us 
are very critical of black people and saying, well, y'all should be doing this, y'all should be doing that. Like, listen, hold up. Like, we're doing what we've, what we've been taught. This is what we've been taught, right? Now, I might be a little different. I might have grew up a little different, but I, I, I grew up a little different because my father was an educator. Still is. So in my household, a lot of the things that he was doing in schools with his students, you know, were, were, were you know, permeated through our household. My mother was an educator for a, a, a professional educator for a brief period of time. But prior to that, when I was a young child, I was like five years old. She homeschooled me for a year. So, you know, my parents are, had an awareness of these types of things, but everybody has had that type of awareness. But I also, we, but we also know that it is the responsibility and the duty of those that do have an awareness to put everybody else on. Look, so this is again, this is again why the why the book why the, why the book is out why the YouTube channel is available. Um, you know, and 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 I, I do I, I do what I do. Let, let me add this because, um, you know, the, uh, the the use of social media and and uh, the different forms of media and especially visual media is helpful, especially now uh, in the environment that we live in and with our children, who, like you said before, they always have a phone or they have some type of tablet in their hand. But I'm all, I'm the type of guy, me, because you mentioned about critical thinking earlier. And I'm the type of guy, and this question is for both you and Richard, because I'm always the type of guy that if we figure out how we got here, we can kind of look back and correct maybe some errors. Because, and I'm not talking about going all the way back to uh, ancient civilizations, Egypt and other uh, Nubia, places like that. Just go back to when we came here. Our people were already proficient in several trades, whether it was carpentry, uh, brick masons, uh, things of that nature. Uh, and if you're talking about revolutionaries, uh, uh, Denmark Vesey was a, he had a carpenter business, very proficient at building. Uh, 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 Don, his name just flew out of my head. Uh, 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 Gabriel Prosser. Him and his brothers were metalsmiths. All of those trades, you need to be proficient in several maps, and especially geometry when you talk about masonry and carpentry. Right. So if during enslavement we had these talents and several men through several generations, and I'm just highlighting a couple, our people had these talents. They built this society white folks wasn't building they had us doing it and they didn't teach us how to do it uh unlike what the the fool down there in florida was trying to to uh insinuate and even after enslavement if you're talking about the late 1800s early 1900s some of our ancestors that were illiterate and really didn't know how to read they made sure that their children went off to school and became educated. So how did, where did it change? And I'm at, this is a question for both you and Richard. Where did it change where some of our people now that don't know math, that dropped out of school, and I'm talking about adults, really don't care whether they're children. In fact, they some of them kind of want their children to follow in their footsteps of not knowing anything and not doing. You got a percentage of our people out there that have become losers, 
and they're raising their children to be like that. Uh, that's just the reality of it. It shouldn't be that way. But what I'm saying is, where did this, where, what happened? Where did it change? What happened to cause this to change in your men's estimation? You want to go first, Richard, or you want me to respond first? Oh, um, I, well, you go ahead. Go ahead. Let me uh, like to hear your thought. So this is something that I, I like this question because um, it's, it's very important in terms of like, you know, in terms of problem solving, in terms of identifying a problem and then figuring out when something changed, like it's a systematic approach to solving a problem. First, identifying when the, when the problem really started. Um, I would like to research this more, but the first thing that comes to mind is, at the Brown versus Board of Education and integration, the integrate or the, the, the desegregation of schools, rather, because the schools were never actually integrated. Okay. Because um, one of the things that one of the things that's left out in the conversations around Brown versus Board of Education, well, a couple of things. Chief Justice Earl Warren, in his opinion, his whole thing was basically, if I could summarize what he said, was, yeah, okay. Um, you basically can't get a quality education if you're around, if you got all black teachers and you're around a bunch of black people. That's the simple, the simple way if I could, you know, reduce it down, that's basically what he was saying. And a lot of people bought into that. You know, it's, with the, it's the proliferation of this idea that the white man's water is wetter and his ice is colder. Right. So that's part of it. But a lot of what, another thing that happened is a lot of black administrators and black teachers lost their jobs. And, you know, so then, so there's, you know, you don't have the, and then there's the, there's the, the training that becomes different, right? Um, and I would even probably say that a lot of the goals of education would change, whereas prior to the goal of education was, for uh, you know, community maintenance, you know, so, community sovereignty. Like we're educating our children so that they can control this community. But then the goal becomes, well, we don't need to control communities we just need to try to, you know, go get, be able to go buy the stuff that the white man has and that he's selling. Because we're integrated now, so we can go into his stores, right? Um, these are just some ideas. Like I said, I would like, to, I would, I would like to research more. But these are just some ideas based on some things that I have read, and you know, from just some observations as well. That would, that would make because that's, I know some of that was taking place. And, and I agree let me, with. You. Let me say this, Richard. Let me before mm-hmm. you speak. You know, that that's interesting what Brother Akil just said because I never really kind of tried to narrow it down in that perspective to that Brown versus Board of Education decision because whatever Warren felt about, well, black folks can't learn if other black folks are teaching them, that was his opinion. That wasn't true because we did learn effectively with our children being taught by our own people. But right. I never thought that that might have been that turning point. What's your, how, where do you see this? I, I, I would, I mean, I think Brother Kill um, gave the broader framework, and and the one book comes to my mind: um, too much schooling. I mean, too much, yeah, too much schooling, too little um, education. I think that's what it's called. Um, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that period, um, as as you said. The where you had primarily um, when it was the uh, de jure segregation, there were black teachers. Primarily, the, all the schools were black teachers. Black women were teaching. After Brown, 
the is two things that that changes. Um, three, one, I would say the, the the stratification between the lower black income group and the middle black group, because after Brown, and we're talking about moving into the fifties. Um, you started to get more black people who had education who could be able to um, earn more income because on the other side, housing start, I mean, this whole thing of housing where white folks started to, where the government started to finance white housing, you know, what they call it, Levittown and, you know, all these in the urban areas. So you now have, um, because the real estate, is tied to the taxes that funds the educational system. So now you have black people concentrated in areas where the funding, because that's what Brown was supposed to, was just supposed to be about equal access to resources, not integration as a means of, as you said, brother, that's the way. So one is that the, um, the, the social stratification starting within the black community um, around that period of Brown, the, um, the um, loss of black teachers. And you start seeing the wave of white teachers now teaching black children. Okay. Starting to occur. And then the housing um, as black people are moving um, you know, from the South, you already had a certain type of um, system um, in the South as far as education that the the white domination of, of funding for education um, is being um, choked in black. But in urban areas, you have now, and with the housing policy, you have now what they call, quote, unquote, ghettos being created because black people who are moving from the South are moving in these urban areas and it's not enough housing and the housing that exists where white people um, um, lived were dilapidated. And then white people started to move out of those areas and through the housing policy that then um, whites are being given um, benefits to buy housing, but black folks are, are now buying up or renting houses that are dilapidated, but more importantly, as it relates to education, the tax base that supports public education now change. Those are the things that I see um, is the change. So now as we move into the 60s, you you see the escalation of this, of those three dynamics continue to go, move into the 70s and to where now, um, because in that, a culture change start to to occur. One um, person I always use says that now the separation between the black middle income, middle class is so so divorced from the black, um, um, those who are impoverished, that a culture amongst the impoverished black people where, um, as Brother Kill said, the the need for, you know, trying just to get a job, just to try to make ends meet. And then you have all these other um, factors that even Johnson brings up about when he made his speech 
to, to, to the Lincoln students when he was bringing in in the 60s, what's that, 60, around 66, or 60, you know, uh, around the war on poverty that he started to fund that got defunded once the uh, Vietnam War started. So I, I would say those are the elements that you speak to, Elliot, because now this is what we're looking at. And those who were advocating that we take community control now where they become um, the enemy of the state, the Panthers, the, the, the black nationalists, you know, those groups who were saying we need to get community control, those are the same groups who were advocating that kind of control. Those were the same groups that the police department, the alphabet people started to come after to where we get the prison, you know, the um, political prisoners and others. You know, I was, I was, very, I was, what I, what I was studying, I spent a lot of time studying the Black Panther Party at one point while I was teaching um, at Delaware Valley Charter. And I just like really went in on, went deep, did a deep dive, like studying Huey, Bobby Seal, and, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, people like Erica Huggins and, you know, the, the, uh, everybody in, in, in the party and reading some of their writings. And I just was very much um, like studying the side of Shakur as well, who was a member of, you know, at one point Black Panther Party in New York. And she was one of the people that was responsible for the free breakfast program in Harlem. And I just was really like impressed by that, you know, just to, you know, you, 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 you're taking responsibility for the young people in the community and also giving them political and cultural education um, with food. So a lot of times when I think about what my goals are with the channel, it's influenced um, in, a, in a large part by that type of work. So I'm trying to really carry on that type of tradition because I, I want for people to realize, and the people that come onto the channel regularly do, do recognize this, that you can come to the channel, you can learn some math, you, you're going to learn some math, but you're also going to learn some history and, and, and some political awareness because within that history, some of the little information that I'm going to give, like, you know, about, you know, whether one day, like last week I recorded a video and I had my Marion Barry t-shirt on. And I talked about how, you know, this brother, he had a chemistry degree. Went to Lemoyne Owen College. So that's probably a, not as popular HBCU as, like, say, a Howard or, or a Morehouse or a Hampton, but still nothing just the same as, you know, an institution that has educated some of our people um, right, right down in, in Memphis. And before he ever became a mayor of Washington, D.C., he was he was the first field secretary of Student Nonviolent Coordinator Committee. So then it's like, you know, okay, so, you know, we're talking about SNCC. And when you get into SNCC, you go down that rabbit hole. Now you're talking about, you know, you got you to talk about Kwame Torre. You got to talk about Bob Moses. Bob Moses started the Algebra Project, co-authored Radical Equations with Charles Cobb. And, and they, was, they was doing freedom schools down there in Mississippi back in the 60s. Um, Cleveland Sellers, you know, people, you know, people like that. Marimba Ali, when she was still Donna Richards. They were, they were all, these are all people that, that were in SNCC. Um, so it's like, my goal is that, because I, when I, in the classroom, I recognized that there was, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a math teacher of record, right? While I was in, in the high school classrooms over 15 years in Philadelphia, different charter schools, different public schools. But I also realized that what, what's also lacking is a knowledge of self and a knowledge of historical awareness. So I think I was kind of organically constantly trying to figure out how to kill two birds with one stone, how to have these conversations in this mad space about, you know, you know, who, uh, who Winnie Mandela was or like, you know, who Nelson Mandela actually was or, um, and in Philadelphia, I'm like, well, 
y'all need to know who Mumia is. Y'all need to know who, like, you might catch the subway every day and live in North Philly and get off at the Cecil B. Moore stop, but you don't know who Cecil B. Moore was. I need to teach you who Cecil B. Moore was. I need to at least tell you some information about the brother, you know, the type of work that he was doing back in the 60s. Um, so, so yeah, so, like, you know, the, the, the free breakfast program really has influenced me a lot, just, you know, being, being just community people, just taking, taking responsibility for just providing that education, you know, and, you know, and it kind of, it makes me think of that, that quote that, you know, Malcolm made, you know, only a fool would send his, his children be educated by their enemies. And this is all, that's also another impetus for why I want us to reorient ourselves. If our children are still going to attend those schools, at least it's like, we're not, we won't be sending them to the school to be educated. We're sending them to school to be in a safe space where they can practice skills they've already gained from us educating them. That's what, that's, that's what I hope, right? That's, that's, that's what I hope for. And I know it's, it's a, it's an ambitious goal. It's going to take a lot of work, but you know, that's, that's what I signed up for. We're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation. You can get involved too, by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're in conversation here on this Freestyle Friday with math professor, educator, and founder and CEO of all this math, Brother Keel Parker. We'll be right back. Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowner's insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. The Digital Plantation. Abibitumi.com. Abibitumi.tv. Abibitumi.tv.com. Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. 
Don't run from danger. Run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family. To join your interconnected commit to you black communities. Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com. Abibitumi.tv. Abibitumi.tv.com. Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years, to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we are getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism, do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality, and uh, they're always looking for an excuse uh, to go, but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America. We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of their time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Raft Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Marian Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young, but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, 
Nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Don't let anybody take your manhood. For an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. It's coming. This is to be Black Liberation Movement. Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club presents the 7th Annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023. Building Power Summit, Free the Land, Undivide and Reclaim, September 15th to the 17th. Jackson, Mississippi at the historic Black Tougaloo College. Portions of the conference to be aired on Time for an Awakening Media, Black Talk Radio Network. Calling all serious Black power organizations, revolutionaries, organizers to attend this divine experience. For more information, contact Brother Patrick Lumumba, 662-560-5434. Sister Crystal Denise, 405-361-4751. And brother Nick Bezel, 512-364-0050. That's the 7th Annual Black Liberation Movement Building Power Summit 2023. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 9 22 on this Freestyle Friday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, math professor, educator, and founder and CEO of All This Math, Brother Akil Parker. Uh, you can join us with a question or comment by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, Brother Akil, uh, one other question before you kind of um, uh, go back into the uh, the nuts and bolts of, of all this math. The um, ideal of this, uh, and I might have the wrong term, but this uh, social promotion where if if our children, and especially happening in black schools, uh, I don't care whether they're in rural areas or urban areas, if our children are not getting a particular subject, it doesn't matter because at the end of the year they're moving on. So they'll end up in the 10th grade, 11th grade and have a fifth grade reading level or a fourth grade math level. But you're sitting in the 10th and 11th grade, which uh, ends up the child is frustrated. Uh, I might end up quitting school if the drive is not there, if the family support is not there, uh, they end up quitting school. And then just like you mentioned before, about who's benefiting from this because the community is not benefiting when, when our children don't get educated and they end up dropping, uh, uh, just quitting uh, the struggle, dropping out of society, so to speak, 
and then what's left for them is a lot of negative activities, and then we can see who benefits. So talk about that idea. Is that well? I know it's still going on, but that ideal of social promotion, if I if I got the term right, talk about that from your perspective as someone that has been in the classroom. I think it's definitely a form of, of social engineering, and it's, it's difficult to talk about sometimes because I, th- I think what happens is like some of the people that are victimized by this, they take it as a personal attack. Um, what I mean by that is this, when I'm traveling, right, I might be going to like a conference or, you know, just going to do some type of outreach work with like, you know, a teacher at a school that, you know, uses the, the all this math YouTube channel. And, you know, whenever I'm in the airport, I see a lot of times young brothers and sisters, sometimes not young brothers and sisters, um, doing that type of labor, you know, and it reminds me of what boys talked about in the souls of black folk. One of the things he talked about, he mentioned um, uh, many of our people being the hewers of wood and the drawers of water. And what he was talking about was how, you know, a lot of our, a lot of the, the menial labor is relegated to our people. So I think about mathematics and I think about how I'm like, damn, like, you know, would that brother be doing that job? I know that job doesn't pay a whole lot. Um, and I know he probably, he might not really like this job, but he's, you know, he's trying to be responsible. He needs to make a check because he's got to live. You know, he can't just, you know, he's got bills, you got responsibilities, you got children, whatever. But I wonder if he'd be doing that if he had a strong math background. I wonder if he'd be doing this job right now if he had perhaps been taught calculus in high school and then went to college and then got a degree in something, maybe in a STEM field, or even if he wasn't, didn't go in the STEM direction, at least he had the option to do that. Because a lot of people, when they go to college, they pick their major concentration based on which major will enable me to get a degree without having to take math ever again. Or which labor, which major will enable me to get a degree with taking the least amount of math classes possible? Right? Now, I don't think everybody should go into STEM, but everybody should have the option to go into STEM and be STEM ready because they have a strong math background and a strong math foundation. Right? A lot of people don't go into STEM because they can't. They're not. They're ill prepared. So. I think there's a lot of social engineering. I think, and we got to ask ourselves, like, well, what would what would the society look like if you start, you know, um, everybody is proficient in mathematics, and everybody then because they're proficient in mathematics, they can qualify for certain job opportunities. They can they're more qualified to create certain job opportunities. They're more qualified, and they'll be more successful at entrepreneurship. That's one of the things that a lot of people leave out of the conversation when they talk about entrepreneurship, they talk about going into business, starting businesses, running successful businesses. They leave out a lot of the mathematical computations that have to be done on a daily basis in order to just make, you know, practice good decision-making. Because we have limited resources. As a business owner, you got limited resources. You got to do some calculations to figure out what the, what the best approach or the best, you know, um, act- action is. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think about Julius Nairi, Pan-Africanist, former teacher. He was a leader in, in Tanzania, if anybody doesn't know. Um, Tanzania was a British colony. It had previously been a German colony, and it was Tanganyika. Um, but I think after World War II, the British, like, you know, took it, you know, from them. Um, one of the things that when, when, when they lost 
when they gained political independence from Great Britain, one of the things that Nayeri said was, you know, we have to reform our educational system. But instead of just going straight into the education reform piece, we first should essentially, he's basically saying we need to zoom out and think about what type of society we want. And then when we, when we establish the type of society we want to have, then that should inform how we train our teachers. Because that informs what our teachers should be doing, what our teachers should be prepared to do, and what our teachers should be teaching the young people. In this society, this is, this is a contradiction in America. And this is one of my, I would say, my constructive criticisms of people that are involved in education reform. A lot of them are not addressing the overall society and the overall socioeconomic um, landscape of the society. They're not addressing the fact that this is a neo-colonial society. They're not addressing the fact that this is a monopoly capitalistic society. They want to change schools and change the schools in a way that don't serve, if they have their way, that don't serve a neo-colonial capitalistic society. But then the people that are ultimately going to make that decision on what the schools look like are trying to maintain a neo-colonial capitalistic society. <laughs> this is this is this is a problem because then because the question really the question we got to really this is like just the, the very fundamental question we got to ask if we teach everybody calculus and everybody can do calculus, you know, in high school like you're 15 years old like every everybody you know black kids black boys black girls. 15 years old, 16 years old, they know how to find derivatives. They know how to, you know, you know, use a limit, you know, uh, you know, do different types of things, low towels rule, whatever, right? At that age, then, okay, who, who's going to work at the airport doing those jobs? Who's going to work at Chick-fil-A? Because we look at, we look at all the menial labor and those positions that we, that, that, that we, that we fill. Now, young people, adults even have some options now. Now, granted, some people might say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work that job while I'm in college, or I'm going to work this job while I'm doing this other thing. But you're, not, you're probably not going to have, like, somebody that's, like, 40-something, 40 40-plus 40 years old, 50-plus years old, you know, working at Walmart. But Walmart, in order for it to be a multi-billion-dollar corporation, needs people to work there and, do, and, and, and have less options. Because, you know, it reminds me of, like, Kwame Ture, you know, a lot of people go into, go into jobs because that's what they're limited in doing. They may not have any other options. So I see the education system as a form of, again, what Amos Wilson talked about. How do we give the impression that we're trying to improve educational outcomes while at the same time maintaining the status quo so that Walmart will be able to get its workers, Target will be able to get its workers, Amazon will have enough drivers, Right. And, 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 again, it's difficult to even me saying that right now, it's like, you know, somebody hearing that that might work those jobs, they might be offended. But it's not an attack on, on that individual. It's more so an attack on the society because this is socially engineered. Okay. And granted, if that's what you want to do, then you should do that. But I think that people should have options. So people should have training, which will, you know, enable them to say, okay, well, you know what? I could go do this, but I might like driving for Amazon. So I'm a drop for Amazon. Or I could go do this other thing, or I could do you know this this other thing or that other thing, you know, which has much much greater requirements. But I might like working at Target. I might just like the work. You know, I might like interacting with customers. I might just want to like. I don't, I don't think we should have no problem with that. 
But the idea that somebody is limited and they don't have another option, that's a problem. But, again, like we talked about earlier, Chewy Bono, like I just said, that's a problem, but it's beneficial to many other entities. It's beneficial to those companies that need a labor supply, right? <laughs> so that's, 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 those are some of my thoughts on that. You know, as as you're um, raising this, um, uh, Elliot, uh, you know, I'm going to that um, the um, uh, state of Black Pennsylvania um, report that uh, the state representative did, and I'm looking at the poverty rate for Pennsylvania, right? And and and, and I'm focusing on education, but I'm also the question that um, you know, brother Kelly brought up, uh, and brother Elliot, you brought up in the sense of what type of society we want. Um, it, the two numbers that got me, and this is looking at poverty rates for blacks and African-American people for whom poverty status is determined, um, related to children under 18. In 2010, it was 37.2%. In 2021, uh, it's 35.1%. That's, that's children under 18, um, related children under five. Um, in 2010, it was 42%, and in 2021, it's 38%. Why, it, it, that, for me, the that statistic, and it has to be flushed out, and we're talking about the state of Pennsylvania, particularly where we know in Pennsylvania, the two largest populations are right, primarily Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, right, a black population. Um, more than a third of the children who will be going, who is going into um, these schools are living, um, you know, within what is determined poverty uh, status. Okay. You know, that, that, you know, like for, for those who I think we should, you know, dig deeper in what is poverty, what the numbers mean and all of that. And in Pennsylvania, there's other factors, but that they determine that close to a third of children have to go into that. But this this is what I wanted to ask you, Brother Akil, in relationship to your volume, how to use all this math. And the question that, the two questions that came up, and, and there's so many questions come up in this conversation so far. Um, if we looked at your volume as a community and we were trying to um, pull out tools to help us um, deal with the question of what type of mathematical tools or or, or um, uh, processes or examples of what type of society we want. What would you? Is there something that you can suggest that um, a mathematical, you know, uh, tool that we could be able to get that help us if we had that question in mind um, use that math process? to help us deal with that question, if that makes sense. It does. One of the things that comes to mind is, as a matter of fact, the first chapter called Candy Fractions. And what I'm trying to do in Candy Fractions is trying to leverage the fact that, you know, a lot of our children, a lot of our people, a lot of us, we eat candy. I mean, candy is good. I mean, sugar is basically a drug that a lot of us are addicted to. And it makes things taste good. So, you know, we hopefully, hopefully in moderate, we, we consume sugar in moderation and we're not, you know, consuming too much. But what I'm, what I'm saying is like, that's an opportunity to teach children about fractions. Like I, earlier in the conversation, I mentioned pizza, you know, 
one slice of pizza out of a large pizza is an eighth. Instead of it just being one slice, which it is one slice, it's one whole slice, but it's also one eighth of the larger pizza. That concept of a fraction, I think what that does is that can facilitate a different type of human orientation and it can make us more communal. Because when you understand the concept of a fraction, you have to understand that if you as an individual, like, you know, within this, within this radio program, there are three of us on this call. We are each whole human beings, right? So we can say, well, you know, we're each a whole number one, each of us. All together, there's three of us. But at the same time, we can look at this conversation as a whole unit in itself, where I'm one-third of the conversation, Richard is one-third of the conversation, Elliot is one-third of the conversation. So with, the, with, with my impression upon that and, and really driving that idea home for young people, using math, it's a way to use mathematics to build character and also have them think, like, you know, this, this isn't all about me. Like, nothing's ever going to be all about you. You're part of a community. You need to contribute to your community. Your community will provide for you and will take care of you, but you also need to contribute to your community. And it's a different mindset. So then you think about, okay, well, why is this brother, like, I live in North Philly. Like, why, why do I see brothers in, riding in cars down the street? Sisters, too, unfortunately, but, you know, throwing trash bags, throwing, you know, McDonald's bags out the window, just littering in the street because they don't feel like they're part of that community. I think that's a mindset. I believe that's a mindset. I think that starts at a young age. I wonder, because I know how I feel. I'm like, okay, I, I feel communal. I'm like, I don't want to do anything that's going to harm the community. Because, I mean, a lot of people put themselves first, but I put the community first in a lot of my activities, right? I'm still an individual. I respect my individuality, but I put the community first. And I think, I think a way, this is a theory, but I think a way to impress that upon more people is through the use of fractions. Teaching fractions as a concept. Because remember what I said, when I was young, I didn't really think like this. As I got older, I started to think like this, and I think, me engaging fractions so much really helped me to see, oh wow, you know, yeah, and, I, and I'm seeing how like we can we can do it, we can use that with young people to get them to become more communal because they're constantly thinking like, okay, well this is three fifths and that's one fifth, you know, this is a part of a whole, like everything's a part of a whole, right? Whereas you are you are an individual, but at the same time, you're part of a collective, and a lot for a lot of us. We almost we don't get explicitly reminded that we're part of a collective, and if I don't get reminded that I'm part of a collective, it, be, it can become very easy to be very selfish and only do things that benefit me, or or, or, or what do we say, utilitarian like, right, or utilitarianist, and do things that only benefit me at the expense of the whole community. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the community, I suffer because I feel like this is what I feel like doing, and you don't even think about like saying, well, damn, like you know, well, why not put the community first? Because you're part of the community anyway. But a lot of people don't see themselves as part of the community. So what, I, what I'm offering is we can say, well, let's use math to teach that. And that's a teach that life skill. And I've never seen that done before in any classroom. Never heard of it being done. But I think we should do it. Use fractions. You know, and this is something that can be done, like, you know, in different, in different lessons, like fraction lessons. While we're talking about fractions, while we're talking about, you know, what a numerator is, what a denominator is. What, uh, how to add fractions, how to subtract fractions, how to find a common denominator, why you need a common denominator. But during that conversation, we talk about how this relates directly to communalism and, co- and collective work. 
and re- really the Kwanzaa, the Kwanzaa principle, um, collective work and responsibility, Ujima. We, we correct it directly to the Nguzo Saba. Collective work and responsibility. You're a fraction. We're all fractions. We're part of a whole. We're individuals. We're whole individuals, but we're also fractions of a whole. And that can also, that can, that can teach that ideology and at the same time reinforce the, the understanding of the math skill. Because one of the things that I also believe that's lacking from a lot of math instruction is the, 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 the African cultural storytelling piece. Mathematics is often very, the way it's presented to us, it tends to be very, it's overly objective. And I don't have a problem with objectivity, but it's overly objective and very, like, just very sterile. And there's no, like, human factor to it. It's just a bunch of numbers and X's and Y's and Z's and A's and B's. And just, you know, it's like, okay, do these steps and then get to the answer. And then that's it. And then go on to the next problem. Or it's like, wait a minute, no, nah, like, let's, let's really talk about this. And let's try to relate this to some everyday, you know, um, experiences. And, like, you know, when we're solving this equation or this type of equation, this is just like when, you know, in our community when this happens. You know, we're solving radical equations. The way you solve a radical equation is you first isolate the radical, then you eliminate the radical. That's what COINTELPRO did. That's what the FBI did. That's what the FBI does. They first attempt to isolate the radical. They identify you as a, as a black radical. They try to isolate you from the community, right? And then they, then they eliminate you, either kill you or put you in jail for the rest of your life. And then we said, but when we're solving radical equations, that's how you do it. So then it's a way that, so that, I guess what I'm, what I'm also talking about is systematics. Because what histematics is a, is a teaching framework which serves to, you know, use history to teach mathematics and vice versa, use mathematics to teach history. So that, those, are, those are some things that, that, that definitely that, that come to mind, you know, in, in regard to your question. Brother Keel, let me, let me throw this one at you because uh, I want you to give a, uh, an answer that would help some folks. Uh, a lot of times we have different guests on and, and sometimes people will come into my place of business and say that they might have heard the program and give a uh, their spin on whatever the person has been talking about and sometimes it's without any back, background on a particular subject matter now you'll have just say for example if I <clears throat> Uh, graduate college or whatever and say, listen, uh, I hear what Brother Keel's talking about and I want to go into the schools and teach this to young black folks. So I'll try to target a school that's in the heart of the community and go in and try to implement these teaching principles. What would happen to that particular brother or sister that would try to do this in a public setting, public school setting. If anything, I might be wrong, but just it, what would happen? That's an interesting question. I think it would it would really depend on well, it depend on the, the students, and I think it would really like depend on the background of the teacher. So I, let me make sure I understand your question. You're saying that they picked up the book. How to use all this math volume one, and they said, "Okay, I want to, 
I want to implement these these different methods. Oh, no, no, no. Right. no. Uh, yeah, I think you're missing what. Uh, uh, no, I'm not talking about the student or the teacher, because mm-hmm. the teacher, as an example, I, I, I use myself. I'm just saying, I graduate college and I say, well, wow, I listened to uh, Brother Keel. I think he's right on point. Uh, I want to go back to the high school I graduated from or the junior high. Well, they don't have junior highs anymore, but uh, the school I grew up in or whatever to implement these things. I'm talking about what would happen system-wise if I was to do that. Would I be called on the carpet by the administrator, the public school system itself, the superintendent saying, well, you're not following the allotted lesson plan. I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there. I'm, I'm curious to know what would happen as far as the system goes. I'm not talking about as far as the reception of the children or the, the uh, mindset of the teacher that's trying to teach it. Okay. So I see, I see your question. Okay. I think what, what happens is, so I think you have to, as, a, as an instructor or a teacher, you have to be creative. Fortunately, there are standards. And there's this, like, you know, uh, full gamut of standards, right, um, within, within all um, subjects. So in math, there are standards. So, and it, this kind of ties into, like, the conversation around, um, you know, uh, with um, – with, uh, you know, DeSantis and, you know, them people down in Florida saying, well, you can't teach this or you can't teach that. What you can do is as long as you can, as long as you're covering a standard and a standard might be something kind of general, like um, in math, a standard might be uh, the ability to um, multiply numbers that are three of two digits or more, right? So that's the standard. So I'm like, okay, well, then as a, as, a, as a teacher, oftentimes we just follow textbooks because the textbooks kind of already are aligned to standards. But if you are, wanted to be more creative, which okay. this teacher would, would, would be doing in this situation, they would say, okay, well, I want to show that I want to show my, make sure my students, I want to, I want to make sure my students are proficient at this standard and they know how to multiply numbers of two digits or more. But when we're doing that, um, we might be talking about data and numbers that are relevant to uh, the experience of Malcolm X, the experience of Ida B. Wells, or some of the experiences of Paul Robeson. And that becomes the narrative. Now, if a, if a principal wanted to be, you know, if they, if they saw a problem with it, they might call you out on the carpet, but as long as you, you know, listen, I'm teaching the standards. You know, you're doing your job if you're teaching the standards. Okay, so what you're saying is uh, it could be done, but uh, the sister or brother would have to be creative. It has to be creative. Now, now another thing that's happening, uh, like today, as, of, as we speak right now in 2023, the School District of Philadelphia specifically has purchased a brand-new curriculum from, I think it's called Imagine Learning. I think that's the name of the company. So this curriculum is, is, from what I've studied about it, it's scripted. So they're trying to remove a lot of that creativity. Oh, from okay, <laughs> okay. Right? It, it's, it, it's scripted, right? But then, 
So, so well, here's the thing. I, I, will, I need to study it more because some people, that, that's been a major pushback, the fact that it's scripted. Because then teachers are like, well, if it's scripted, then how can I really do my thing, right? And that script might not apply well to my students. So then some people are saying, well, it's not scripted. You can still, you have this leeway and that leeway. So I'm not really sure exactly, like, how, it, how, how it's going to, like, really pan out. But, um, again, as long as we're, you know, as long as you're teaching that standard, you should be in a good position. Now, where do, right? a, where do a lot of these, uh, because I, I, from what I understand, a lot of the textbooks and all come out of Texas. Where do a lot of these uh, uh, teaching curriculums and, and things like that, where, where are they created at? Where do they come out of, generally? It varies. So there's like one one that's been really popular is uh, Eureka Math, which is published by I believe um, Great Minds Incorporated, which is based in New York, based out of New York State. Uh, we also have Pearson. Uh, Pearson is a major textbook publisher. Then um, Agile Minds is another one, and these are just ones that I'm, I'm familiar with, like that have been used. And well, Eureka Math is you know people all over the country use that. And I mean, it's it's pretty solid, but you know, I mean, for what it is, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's what we would expect it to be. I mean, it's not culturally relevant to black children, but again, I I don't I don't expect that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think very culturally relevant to white children. Um, so that I mean, because I have that expectation, I'm like, okay, I go in here knowing that this is this is what it is, and it just it motivates me to just keep doing what I'm doing in terms of creating content. That is is suitable for for our children. So, but yeah, the, the, the curricula they they come from a lot of a lot of different places, and you know, and then you know, I mean, it's, it's big business, you know, textbooks, curricula, um, you know, um, supplemental uh, support um, materials. You know, it's it's a, it's a multi multi million dollar industry. And a lot of it is like it's, it has nothing to do with whether students actually learn. But, but again, it's, I keep going back to that Amos Wilson quote: "Like, how can we, how can we give the appearance that we're trying to help improve educational outcomes, while at the same time maintaining the status quo?" Because you know, this is a, this is this is this is about money. It's a money grab. Hmm. So it's not about students learning. It's about this company getting this seventy million dollar contract. It's not about the students. It'll be advertised that it's about the students, but it's not about the students. You know, it's not about the teachers. It's not about it's about these companies, because because education is a hustle. You know, uh, they call us uh, they call they call it edupreneur ed- edupreneurism. <laughs> education is a hustle like everything else, and there's no and the thing the thing the benefit, if you want to call it that, with teaching black youth in black communities is, it's like it's a win. You win either way, because. If you attempt to, if you're, you know, a traditional, like, um, school district or, you know, um, and you're trying to teach black children, there's this fundamental belief, which goes back to as, as long as this country has existed, that black people are unintelligent. Black people are meant to be like the boys wrote about, hewers of wood and drawers of water, only do menial jobs anyway. Um, we're criminals, you know, we're, you know, the, all these negative things. So if the children learn and they're not expected to learn, then that makes you a hero and a genius. But if the children don't learn, then that's the status quo. That's what that was to be expected. 
So you really can't be held accountable. <laughs> you really can't be criticized. Because we didn't expect them to learn anyway. Because that's the, that's the prevailing belief system. That's the prevailing idea. So it's actually, you know, for somebody that just doesn't really care, actually in a good space. Like teaching, teaching black children is, a, you know, for somebody that doesn't care and you just want to get a check, it actually can, you know, it's a good deal. You think about it that way. Brother Keel, uh, we're coming up on just starting to wind down. Let me let me ask you a couple more things. Um, with with the advent of a lot of the, the uh, online classes that you're doing and and, uh, and people reaching out, um, is it a, is it a lot more black independent schools, especially after COVID, uh, the COVID shutdown and the reopening of things? Uh, have you noticed? Uh, if you was to put maybe a figure on it, and when I say figure, I'm talking about the number of black, uh, independent black schools that you've noticed before COVID and after, uh, do you think it has doubled, uh, maybe one third more? Uh, d- d- give me some figures on, on some of our people that have c- taken up that banner to start educating uh, our own children. And especially after the situation kind of forced them to do it. Um, just talk about it from your perspective and some of the input that they've been getting to you, whether they've been asking you to come and, and share uh, some of your teaching uh, styles and things of that nature. Just talk a little bit about that before we start winding things down. So that's difficult for me to say because I really didn't have a lot of awareness prior to the pandemic, um, like during the pandemic. And then after the pandemic, I started to work with some of the, you know, the independent, um, virtual like school campuses such as uh, liberated minds homeschool collective, which is based in based in Atlanta, but it's virtual though. Um, and then there's the II Institute, which I, I just started where they're also based in Atlanta. That's another virtual campus um, headed by uh, Baba Wakesa Mazimoyo and um, his, his wife, uh, Mama Afia Mazimoyo. I just started working with them. And one of the reasons I started working with them, you know, I developed a relationship with Baba Wakesa years back, and we were having a conversation one day. He's an elder in the community. And one of the things he said to me that, that resonated with me was, you know, he said, we got to take math back. And when he said that, that it, like, hit me like a ton of bricks because it was so true. Because that that's actually, like, that's, that's part of the reason why, like, you know, that's why that anxiety is able to set in easily, that math anxiety, that math phobia because we're conditioned and trained to believe that math is not ours. Math is the domain of, of other people. It's not ours. So why would we expect to excel in it? Whereas we think we've been conditioned and trained, like to think that dancing is ours, singing is ours, rapping is ours. Um, being cool is ours. But we try, we try to excel. A lot of us try to excel in those things because we have this, like, it's like a, you know, a preconceived notion that we should be able to. But with subjects like math, it's like, nah, that's not really our thing. That's for the Asians, you know, the Indians, you know, they're good at that. You know, white people, they, you know, they, they might be good at that, but nah, that's, that's not us. That's a fundamental belief that a lot of us had, even if we don't articulate it. We don't feel like we own it. Like basketball, we feel like we should be good at basketball. Like, we feel like we should be good at football. Right? We don't feel that way about math, it's, it's, and it's, the, it's become cultural. Right. 
So another one of my another one of my goals is a quick sidebar is like I want for math to be a cultural norm for black people. Just like when you think of spades, you think of black people getting together on a game night playing spades. I want us to think about math in the same way. You know? Um, you know, smoking Newports. <laughs> I don't know if other races smoke Newports. I don't know, I know black people smoke Newports. <laughs> so I want to see how you do when we think of bad ones, to think about black people, right? Become a cultural norm. Um, but to, to your original question, um, there's also like there are a lot of homeschool collectives that I, I've seen like sprout up and gain a lot of traction. And you know, because because with the technology, and again, this is this is kind of my reasoning with developing out the YouTube channel. We can leverage technology to do things that we couldn't do 20 or 30 years ago. Like when, I, like when I say I want to teach math to the entire black community, I'm only able to say that because the Internet is available. And I can make video content, you know, using a phone, and then just post it easily. And as long as people have the link to the channel and know about it, they can go on and look at it whenever they want. And it's free on YouTube. Um, so a lot of people have these, like, homeschool collectives where they have they offer, like, a, like virtual campuses where they recruit um, – different instructors like myself to come in and teach certain classes. And like, and, and black parents are like, well, I get to exercise some control over what my children learn and who my children get exposed to and who, who's, who's, who's the black man or who's the black woman that's going to teach my child this subject and this concept. And there's, there's been a lot, a lot of that. Um, I was saying in the last, since, since the pandemic and even before, but I, there's, there's been more of a, there's definitely been a proliferation. Um, I wish I can't really be as specific in terms of like the the trend and the the increased amount or the percentage, but it's definitely uh, I think there's definitely definitely been an increase. And then you still have like the brick and mortar independent schools, uh, such as like you know Freedom Home Academy run by Marcus Klein out in Chicago, mm-hmm. and then um, some other ones um, that escape me right now, but just you know around the country. And and I, and I think that we have to we have to you know continue to support those and, and learn about those and then you know support them even more and and create even more and I think so when I, when when I say that I think the school we should reorient ourselves so that the school can become a place of practice for our children that's it's kind of like with the Black Panther Party like they had a ten point plan pending revolution so this is the ten point plan what we these are ten things we need now but when the revolution comes hopefully. You know, when, on the other side of it, when we're successful, then we won't need these ten points because these things will be like a like they will go without saying. If we had a network of, um, you know, African-centered independent schools and independent educational spaces, then the schools don't have to be just a place of practice. Then the school can be a place of primary education because then it's like, okay, well, you're part of the community. You have the same love for my children as I do. You have the same love for my nieces and nephews, my little cousins, my younger siblings, whoever, as I do. So, therefore, they can go into the space, you know, they might be able to go into the space unprepared and it'll still be healthy for them. Because I know you're going to you're gonna nurture them and provide that education the same way that I would in the household. And, and also, man, we work together. We work together anyway. You know, we're going to be, you know, supplement each other's efforts, you know. Um, when we, but when we, when we create and operate those type of schools, right now we don't have a vast network of those schools. They're, 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 they exist in different pockets. 
different like silos, you know, and they're online. Okay. You know, we, we use Zoom links and Google Meet links and Microsoft Teams and, you know, different things like that. Um, we're, you know, people are leveraging, leveraging technology to make this happen. Let me, let me ask you this, um, because, and, and maybe it's generational, uh, when I was uh, young, uh, a lot of children would play, you know, different board games. Now, like Monopoly, it was a long game, but, you know, it was fun. Uh, you learn how to count, or you, you, it's involved, counting is involved. Uh, you buy real estate, you try to leverage that. You know, and, and, and numbers is involved in the game and strategy. Um, now, with the, if you're in a lot of different, it's a different age. Uh, my daughter was involved in STEM when she went to college. But when she was younger, she used to, beside her being an avid reader, she used to like a lot of the uh, Sims uh, you know, where you build civilizations, build this, build that. Um, yeah, yeah. What what games do you recommend? Being that a lot of children are online, being that a lot of them have their devices all of the time, and I, and I know because you mentioned about limiting their access to, uh, you know, the, uh, the time on those devices. But when they're on them, what do you, what would you recommend to certain parents to get their children, even if the parent is not, or uh, uh, academically inclined, or even math inclined, to start getting their children math inclined. Because I'm quite sure there's games out there that they might find fun that that really starts to stem uh, that starts to uh, stimulate their their mindset. To I like this. I like numbers. I like the challenge. You know things like things of that nature. What would you recommend? So I wish I had a better answer for this question, but. The first thing that comes to mind is there's a website which has a lot of games on it, um, educational games, but they have a large math section within the website. And I used to assign this to, like, I've used some of the games with my children before when, with Asada when she was younger. And I used to assign this to my students when I taught at LaSalle, actually, the education majors when I taught math methods. Because I wanted them to, you know, use the games and, like, critique them and, you know, uh, get familiar with the games because these will be games they potentially would assign to their students or use in their classrooms in the future. Um, so the website is abcya.com, abcya.com or abcya.com. And there's just a lot of this different games and, you know, they're kind of fun. You know, they have like, there's like a, a dirt bike game where, you know, you have to come up with, um, you have to figure out multiplication facts in order to win the race. Like, you know, a game where you race dirt bikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, like, you know, just other puzzle-type games where you have to figure out, like, num- numerical combinations, and, you know, which helps you to practice with your addition and subtraction facts or multiplication and division facts. So, I mean, I think those are helpful, too, because it kind of, again, it's another way for children to get their repetition in or to get their reps in. And, you know, at the same time, because they're doing something they consider they consider fun. And before you know it, it's like, wow, I played this game every day, and I, now I know all my multiplication facts up to 12 times 12. And I didn't, I didn't think I was, like, really studying and practicing math. I just thought I was playing a game. And, you know, over time, I just ended up, you know, developing this skill set. So 
So I think games are important. I guess I think that's one of the things I want to I should start looking more into, like how games can be used and even like create you know, how to create some games. Mm-hmm. Meet meet the young people where they are. Okay. You know. Brother Keel, listen, thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, give out the information again for uh, all that, all this math, how people can uh, get involved. If you offer tutoring classes for adults, and especially, you know, being it's online, it doesn't matter if they're in Philadelphia area or local. It's, it's, uh, right. They can access it all over. And also, you'll be down at the uh, Building Power Summit down there in Jackson also. Right. I'll be, I'll be down in Jackson um, next week. We'll be at uh, Tougaloo, Tougaloo College. I, I love visiting HBCUs, especially ones that I never visited before. I'm kind of excited. You know, I just like, you know, being being in that space and being on those campuses. I always, I always feel, I feel just good. I just feel good being on HBCU campuses. And I just, I always had. And, um, yes, yeah, so I'll be I'll be there at the conference with uh, Brother Patrick and Sister Crystal and everybody else talking about histematics, histematics, um, math, for political education. That's the, that's the title of my presentation. If anybody wants is interested in tutoring, whether it's for individual or groups, you can go to my website, allthismath.com. There's a contact form tab that you can click on. Um, just send some brief information, some brief form, fill that out. I'll get, I'll, I'll get notified. I'll get back to you within 24 hours. I hope. I'll try my best to get back in 24 hours. Also, the YouTube channel, if you just go on YouTube and just type in all this math, please go in there, subscribe, like some videos, share, tell everybody about it, you know, because I'm, I'm telling you, like, it's a really good resource. And for parents that want to be able to provide homework help, this is for you. The children, because, I, you know, I break things down, I make it plain, so you'll be able to understand the so-called new math that your children are coming home with, your grandchildren are coming home with, your nieces and nephews are coming home with. I want you to be able to understand it so we can kind of kind of also like facilitate I can facilitate and reestablishing those family bonds because well, here's another thing I didn't get to mention is that I believe that with the so-called new math and parents not not knowing how to do it because they never were taught it because 30 years ago 40 years ago we weren't doing math we weren't taught math in that way um, homework help time has been taken away in a lot of households. And homework help time was a bonding time, which helped to maintain the cohesion within the family, within the black family. So even if it's just something that seems as insignificant as homework help time or sitting down at the dining room table or kitchen table or whatever, or in the living room just working on homework, once your mom or your dad realize, oh, I can't help you with that, then that, that time is lost. Because homework help time is not just homework help time. Homework help time is bonding time. Like we're just, you know, get you know, we're, we're spending time together. We're being close with it with one another, as as elders and young people. And then you have that intergenerational piece. So what I what I believe is that the, the new math that's been introduced that adults have not been taught how to do. And I will be doing parent workshops also. That's another thing. I'll be doing parent workshops to teach the new math. It leads to us. It leads to a breakdown in family and family connectedness and intergenerational connectedness. Because now, because you used to have your old, your old heads will help you with your homework. Now your old heads, a lot of times your old head can't help you with your homework. So you miss out on that opportunity. You know, you as a child miss out on the opportunity to bond with your elders. As an elder, you miss out on the opportunity to bond with your children. So again, I'm trying to fix that by bridge that gap by doing the parent workshops. So that way, you know, the elders will understand the, the new math and be confident 
with their understanding of it, and then say, okay, yeah, I can help you with your homework. Which what's what's the what's the homework today, right? Um, so, but the YouTube channel is um, just type in all this math. When you go into the search bar, there's a bunch of playlists where I break everything down by topic and you know subject matter within math. Um, and also, uh, you can follow us. We're, we're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Just all this math. And the book, last but not least, the book, How to Use All This Math, Volume 1, is on Amazon right now. It's only available on Amazon for now. Um, you can go into the Amazon, go into the search bar, type in either my name, Akil Parker, or type in How to Use All This Math. Probably if you type in All This Math, it'll probably come up also. Um, you'll see an illustrated, uh, animated cover, myself and my, and my daughter, Asada. Asada's in a lot of, Asada's my 11-year-old daughter. She's in a lot of the videos on the YouTube channel. And that's, that's another thing. I'll just I'll, leave, I'll end with this. Again, I'm trying to also model for parents what we can do for our children. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a math professor. I'm a math teacher. But first and foremost, I'm a father. Before that, I'm a father. And it's my responsibility to teach my children math. So with my daughter, what I do is I'm actually showing, okay, this is how I teach my daughter math. So you can do the same thing. And you don't got to be a math professor or a math teacher to do it. I don't want people to think that. I want them to say, oh, well, you know, you're a math professor. It's easy for you. Like a lot. Nah. That, like the way I break it down, I make things simple. Right? Because keep in mind, I've been teaching math methods courses for the past five plus years, six plus years. So I've been responsible for teaching people how to teach the new math, teaching people how to teach the old math. So, I, I, and I want, I just want our families and our, our people to feel comfortable with math and, and get over some of their own academic trauma from, from their childhood and then be able to help their own children, you know, with their homework, you know, so definitely check out the YouTube channel, subscribe, like, share, tell everybody about it. Also um, pick up the book on Amazon, how to use all this math volume one. Um, we offer tutoring. You can go to the website, all this math.com and just send it, send in a, you know, a request through the contact form. Brother <laughs> Keel. We'll talk to you soon, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Keep up the good work, brother. Will do. Take care. Peace. <clears throat> Richard. Yes, yes. Come to the end of another program, man. Yeah. Uh, listen, before we go, Richard, uh, got a notice from uh, a brother called Nelson, called Nelson show. Uh, Brother Patrick and them is going to be on on Monday. Okay. At 7 o'clock on WOL. For any of the listeners that are familiar with the Carl Nelson show, they'll be on on 7 a.m. on Monday. Um, also, Operation Power. That's the political action uh, organization that uh, Charles Barron has up in New York. They'll be hosting uh, Cornell West tomorrow. Oh, uh, great. Um, I wish I was around because I'd try to air it on on the on the station, but uh, uh, he' going to try to facilitate some things uh, for us, Richard. If uh, and then we got two irons in the fire with uh, Brother Siddiqui trying to help because we uh, plan to get some uh, uh, some input from some of these men. Uh, hopefully before the year's out. Great, great, but. Uh, but uh, uh, Operation Power will be hosting uh, 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 Cornell West tomorrow. And uh, 
Brother Patrick and uh, probably Brother Nick will be on call on Monday. So uh, things is headed to, to, to continually moving. Uh, we got to see who we're going to line up for Sunday. If we don't have anybody, we'll uh, just uh, share an open forum, uh, get the people involved that way. Either way, uh, you know, we're just uh, uh, we continue in the struggle. That's all. I want to thank everybody. Thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Sunday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Or you're watching your children playing after school Oh
Thank you. 